So I just got this idea like to talk about stuff like conscientiousness and repentance in the same kind of conversation and um, how a conscientious person might take the gospel or someone who's high in conscientiousness versus someone who might not. See, when you think about like traits, like character traits or um, proclivities or in, in how someone might show up in the world, right? Because everyone's different. And one thing I noticed being away from church for a while was that people have drastically different um, measures of what makes them feel guilt, you know? And so some people, um, it has to be the severest thing, right? It has to be something that's notably um, impactful to the extent of almost like disrupting their lives before they feel any kind of way or before they show maybe they do feel something but this seems to be um an interesting topic because we don't think about these things when people convert to christianity or even to any other religion because you kind of might um you know let's just say you you're as for an example right we're like i'm i'm a potential convert and i show up to a church and I'm low in conscientiousness, you know? So what does that mean? Um, conscientiousness is someone having the desire to do their work well, dutifully and thoroughly and, you know, to the highest degree possible. So if you have someone who's high in conscientiousness, you're going to have somebody that it's very dutiful. Like, so like if you present a dutiful, like a duty filled religion to a conscientious person, it's almost like, um, you know, like metal in a magnet. That's kind of how I would see it. It's like a person, you know, have a metal. And then if it gets close enough to a magnet, it'll take it in. So that's kind of like how I see conscientiousness. And maybe a conservative type of religion, because a conservative type of religion you often find with Christianity is very detailed. And it's detailed because it'll tell you everything from a prevailing principles. If they're not in prevailing principles, no, well, reverse, reverse that. If they're not in, if it's not set in fine detail, they'll use prevailing principles to orchestrate a way you should go about doing something that would, you know, quote unquote, please God. So if I'm a conservative religion and, and I am interacting with conscientious people, very high conscientious people, the likelihood is that they might enjoy the order, the orderliness of the religion, you know, and then you might have people that are low in conscientiousness, not really trying to do their best work. They're not really thorough. And you can say like, like you can easily tell, like if you think if you properly define conscientiousness, you can you can tell when someone walks into the building or if you hang out with them for at least maybe like an hour or, you you know, sit down and eat with them. You can kind of see what a person is aware of and what is not, because they'll like they'll kind of give themselves away in a way if you let them talk. And if you listen, you know, and if you if you listen more, you'll be able to see exactly what's going on. So. I kind of feel like um, this is an interesting trait for someone to have considering like religion. And I wonder if we did research about this.
this would be interesting research to do. But obviously, there's a sense of genuineness and sincerity that comes with, you know, converting into a religion. So, you know, it, it'd be really, I think, hard, not impossible to get a good read on this. But if we could, I think that that would be really, really cool, right? To kind of see like, and then you go into the Bible and, and, and the Bible is very detailed. You know what I mean? I think it speaks to every kind of person. Um, in my opinion, um, differently. But if you have someone, let's just say that's low in conscientiousness and they're not orderly at all and they're not thorough and they're not um, wanting to put their best work forward. Um, it, you could, and then, But then you still have someone that converts into something that's conservative it almost seems like with that kind of person, you would have, you would have a problem child, right? Like, and then in turn, you might, because of the conservative nature of the religion, that person could in some way at some point maybe be excommunicated. And this is just hypothetical. Like, I don't know this for sure, but, you know, based on knowing scripture in, in the Bible and from my Christian perspective, I feel like I'm able to kind of see this a certain way and it's, it seems kind of like, okay, you got different personality traits. How do those personality traits, you know, integrate with religion? Because like, let's just say someone is melancholy, right? Naturally melancholy. They're very, very uh, introvert, natural melancholy. And then you put them in a happy-go-lucky, um, praise the Lord, you know, the... the the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know, he's my joy, he's my light, my shield, like kind of happy-go-lucky, really eccentric, really out there kind of worship, you know, the kind of worship where people dance and run and do all that stuff. You can put a person <clears throat> who's melancholy into that environment and they might actually, you know, walk in there and have a terrible experience. And think that these people are crazy just because of the difference in personality. You know, this the church tends to gravitate the same kind of people. But then, you know, there is obviously like different people that come through the doors of different churches. And this doesn't mean like. Like. With with when you if you were to do any kind of research on Christianity, you kind of have to measure the miracle um, the miracles, like you have to measure the fact that someone who is melancholy could come up into a happy-go-lucky church and then find um, a intrinsic need to see that happen but not participate in it. So they find the joy of it happening, but them and themselves will probably never maybe worship God that way, right? And then you have people that aren't really like physically you know, about the worship, but they're about the work. You know, they're about the work. They're they're there, they're serving, and, and they may not maybe dance in this happy go lucky church or or praise God vocally or with their with their body. But nonetheless they'll work. You know, because that's how they work. That's their proclivity. That's their character trait they they found something where they can put energy effort and time into that they that meets their values on some level right 
they encounter God, have an experience with God, therefore they decide they want to live their life under the umbrella of God. And no matter what their personality trait is, um, you you see every personality trait in church. So it's not to say that like one personality trait is is bad, but imagine having like a narcissist. So you get, you know, instead of a conscientious person, um, let's just maybe say, let's, uh, maybe let's hold off on, 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 on narcissist for a second. I think let's do neuroticism. If someone is neurotic, you know, how might that look? Sorry, I'm just pulling this up. I just want to have the actual definition handy. Okay, here we go. So like, let's say someone has a propensity to be neurotic and they suffer from neuroticism and that, you know, a a definition, one definition we could use is it's a trait disposition to experience negative effects, including anger, anxiety, self-consciousness, irritability, emotional instability, and depression. So imagine you... You're preaching a sermon on repentance, right? You walk into a church and, and, and the preacher is saying, repent from your sins. We talked about this, that repent from your sins um, doesn't happen in the Bible. That phraseology per se. So maybe the concept might. And I, need, I, I, would, need, I would need a lot more help because I, I'm just one person. I can't entirely research the, you know, the, the full length of everything. <coughs> But what I can do is do my best to, you know, just talk about this stuff and understand it. So let's just say it's more conservative, traditional type preaching, you know, where they are very like vocally against sin. Um, They may or may not have a context of like the law of Moses. So what sin actually is right. As far as moral sin. So you get into them preaching, they're talking about moral sins and if you fell and then how to repent and that you need to repent or you're going to go to hell. Okay. You're going to go to hell if you don't repent, you know, like you've heard that before, right? So it's kind of like if someone is neurotic and they have that disposition, it's like they'll take that. In the most negative way, if someone is high in neuroticism, I'm not so someone could be low in neuroticism, but still be very like a dominant kind of like a more dominant trait maybe than others. But if they're high in neuroticism, you're going to find that they're going to they're going to take stuff that's said from maybe the pulpit or from people around. Right. Because, like, I think if you're neurotic, the temptation will be to villainize somebody always. You know, doesn't mean they villainize everybody, but the idea is that there is that desire to be negative, 
to be angry, to be anxious, to be self-conscious, to be irritable, to be emotionally unstable and depressed, like all of that would would imagine all of that kicking in in a church environment, right? A person is prone to neuroticism. <clears throat> They're hearing this kind of preaching. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Like it doesn't matter. Like you got to understand that God, God, God wants to change people, right? So if you're, if you take, a, if you take your Christian perspective and you're like, okay, like I believe in God 100%. He does miracles. He changes people. He transforms people, but he transforms people by the what? The renewing of the mind. That's a verse in the Bible, right? So if he's renewing the mind, I actually want to go to that scripture. Renew. Uh, no. Transform. Let's see. Yeah, so Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, <clears throat> but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You, you see here like, okay, there's a transformation. It's the renewing of the mind. Repentance is metanoia. Um, transformed here actually only occurs a few times in the Bible and um, it's very limited like um, in usage per se let's see transform it's metamorphoo like foo like metamorphoo like no I'm just kidding it, but it's a verb and it's the same word like you use uh, so like the way transformation works okay so like let's let's kind of get into transformation real quick because Transformation is important. Transformation is metamorpho, meaning meta change, right? Fu is the etymology. Let's see. Morpho is the is the so meta morpho is the word, and it's it's to form, it's to fashion. So there's a change of form, and this is where we get the word transfiguration. It's the same word. So when Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration, he and he sees. Uh, Moses and Elijah and then that the, 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 the heavens open and, and the voice comes out and says this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased and then from that moment he was transfigured so he was changed he was physically brightened so his his formation changed right he was fashioned in that moment to be a fulfillment of the law and the prophets so he was he was transformed. In, 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 in a way, it was just like they were able to see what he was now, right? The, the disciples and they were not able to before. So in, in an essence, it was a miraculous change, right? So transformation is miraculous, but nonetheless, it has understanding. So it's not void. You don't just say, oh, someone transformed. So it's not just void of, of logistics. It has, there's logistics to it, right? And that's that when a person actually is transformed what ends up happening is they are different but they're not different just off of like okay it's not like a miracle like walking on water it's that a revelation has occurred an understanding has occurred that's why it's a transformation of by the renewing of the mind 
It happens by the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind happens by reading the word, reading the Bible, right? So it's, 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 so like, like, look at the context of Romans 12. Look at verse one. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So the mercy of God is, God, is the fact that God's withholding his judgment, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So God is withholding his judgment. So because of him withholding that judgment, I'm not saying you should change out of fear. Oh, that there's judgment held for you. I'm saying there's a withholding of fear. So from gratitude, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service considering the wrath that is stored up for mankind because of their sin and because of the judgment upon sin, you know? So then boom, that happens. And then, then it says, and be not conformed. So on top of that, don't, don't conform, don't fit in, don't flow. Don't just sync like, and that's where the word conform actually, uh, we get the word like synchronization from. Uh, so like a scheme. Uh, so K Matidizo. Some <laughs> I don't know how to say this one, guys. I'm sorry, but uh, it's where we get the word like scheme or not. Uh, yeah, scheme, not synchronization. I'm crazy. I'm thinking. I thought that that's what it might be. No, it's actually scheme, scheme. Correct, correct, correct myself. Right. <laughs> um. So going back, so the person is transformed by the renewing of their mind, and then. Okay, now bring back the neuroticism, right? So you have a trait disposition of negative. This person's negative. This person is um, anxiety. So anxious means they're prone. So put that in the religious context for a second. They would be prone to pretty much worrying about things. So then if you present to them, oh, transform, renewing of your mind, and you're preaching, repent, or, or hell, they would probably have developed over time, if they heard it enough, an anxiety about hell that's almost unreasonable, almost doesn't have any logic to it. Because you're like, well, we preached grace too, and we preach love too, and we preach... But then you have a person that is, has a trait disposition of neuroticism, you're going to have a different consequence, right? You're going to have a different consequence interacting with that kind of person, okay? And yes, there's the transformation, of, but you cannot neglect the mental health issue. Like in the Bible, can God heal mental health, right? There's a, there's a verse in, uh, I think it's, should be in, sorry, I'm just navigating this off the top of my head. So some of these verses, I have to go back and look. Psalms 147. Yeah, three, got it. He heals, healeth the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. He tells, he telleth the number of, of the stars. He calleth them by their name. So maybe someone who has a, propensity for being neurotic, you might find that this kind of verse is helpful to them because you're going to say, well, he tells the numbers, 
He tells the number of the stars. He calls them by their names. It's like the worries you have, God knows those worries in detail, right? And then you present the knowing of God to the person suffering, right? That God knows and God is with them. And then let's just say they have the sensation that, you know, God actually is with them and they have that experience. In turn, that could change their their chemistry a little bit because it would be, in a sense, like a good trauma, like a trauma, uh, uh, an experience that they had with God that was different than how they see the world. So they they could not be neurotic in any possible way. And then that leads to the transformation possibly, right? Because it, the mind is renewed. It's not necessarily that the person probably was intentional about the renewing of the mind, right? But it it can happen. And so that's what you know, that's how some people might end up converting. It's just this kind of accidental, um, like, lineup of things, right? Um, that's not, you know, if from a, a Christian perspective, it's not accidental. So, but it's lined up to kind of meet the person exactly where they're at. And that's the, that's the hard thing is a lot of people, um, a lot of churches and religion and talk about meeting people where they're at, especially religions that convert. Um, you know, and that's one thing about Christianity is that, you know, it's said often that we meet people where they're at, but, um, but do we really considering that people have different trait dispositions? So you have people that are conscientious, you have people that are neurotic, you have people that are narcissists, right? And how do you deal with them? So going back to the, the verse 147.3, he healeth the broken in heart. So if your heart is broken, right, and binds up their wounds, and this word binds kind of gives you like a horse background, you know, like, um, I'll give you a story. So I I, I once knew a guy, um, and um, he actually had a horse, and he told this story about his horse. So his horse, um, you know, he trained it, he was very type A personality, and the, and the horse was very much, I think, in line with that type, that personality type. And if you know horses, you know, I've had some experience with horses um, before. And um, they're sensitive to people's emotions. Like, they're sensitive to human emotion. Like, very sensitive. So, um, the man was riding his horse. You know, he was, you know, galloping along. And next thing you know, he gets knocked off the horse. Something spooks the horse. It goes up. He gets knocked off. He breaks his arm immediately falling hits the ground, but with that broken arm and, and he's bleeding, he gets up and he knows if he doesn't get back on the horse, right, that it's not uh, going to respect him moving forward and it may never let him get on again. You know, and if you, under, if you understand horses and you know, that's very possible is that once the, once you show that kind of weakness, especially that type A personality, right? And the horse knows that. So the horse is aware of that human being um, and how they're they're operating and thinking. And they kind of treat them accordingly, you know. So if he didn't get back on, the horse probably wouldn't have let him ever get back on. And so he, with a broken arm and everything, he jumps back on the horse right, as quick as he can, you know. And the interesting thing is that this 
word bindeth is related to like a saddling of the horse. So you strap on the saddle so that you could ride the horse, you know, and 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 you you kind of in a sense bind the horse, bind yourself to the horse also, uh, like by getting on it, kind of like strapping in, um, and putting your feet in in the in the things and all that. I don't know everything about it, but you know what I mean, like, and and you you. You navigate the horse. You 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 kind of tell the horse where to go, right? So the horse is like in your control. So think about your pain and suffering, right? As a wild horse that needs training and taming, and so God does that kind of healing. He binds the wild horse. the 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 wildness of your pain can be bound, right? So then you're thinking about these 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 trait dispositions and you're like, okay, well, um, it's just interesting how this might play out. So this is kind of what I I think I want to do a little bit of research on. So I'm definitely going to have to start, um, you know, getting around some, some people that I don't know. Um, pretty much people I don't know because some of the people I know probably take it as a joke, (laughs) but I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this. It's like, the promises of God could literally, whatever promises you tell a person and depending on their trait disposition, they could take that, you know, critically, like, I don't believe that. Or they could take it, you know, I believe it, you know, right away. So you kind of see that if I hope that I kind of painted a picture of how like some of these trait dispositions and some of what's being preached, and if it's being preached, um, there's different denominations and there's different religions. So how something is taught in correlation to how someone interprets information is something that I think is 100% overlooked when, when thinking about dynamic and how something might work out or how something might pan out. So let us go to... You already know. Sorry. There we go. Narcissism. Okay. Narcissism. Um, one of, it's, you know, of course, one of a few types of disorders. It, it, you can be narcissistic, but not be narcissistic, if you get what I'm saying. Like, you don't, you can have narcissistic tendencies, but not have the disorder. So if you do have the disorder, though, it's a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. So you would see this kind of person as a person who runs people over emotionally. Don't tell me you haven't seen people like that in church. They've been in there. They've been in church a long time. And aren't transformed by the renewing of any of their mind. So the, there's these people in church, in, in, in Christianity, in religions, in religions too. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and then sometimes like even some theologies out there can actually propel someone who's kind of like a base level narcissist into full narcissism because they, they contribute to the, they contribute in an environment that would allow for that. It's almost like 
If you have a narcissistic pastor, I mean, I don't know how that would happen, but based on like what's required in the Bible for someone to be a pastor, but that can happen and and it probably has happened somewhere in the world where this guy has an inflated sense of his own importance. (laughs) This kind of sounds like some pastors, huh? Like um, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration troubled relationships so that and and this doesn't mean every relationship is troubled but it means they could probably cause troubled relationships too right and then there's just a complete lack of empathy you know common traits include um you know fantasies about fame and glory exaggerating your own abilities uh, craving admiration exploiting others um Stuff like that, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of traits to narcissists, you know, identity disturbance, uh, difficulty with attachment and dependency, chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom, vulnerability to life. See, like I heard this other day about boredom. Is it like if you're bored, it's it's just that you're not really listening. You know, that's if if you find yourself bored, it's because you're not diving into the the possibilities of the world so there is some sense of like i think when someone um finds themselves bored like there is some kind of maybe neuroticism or narcissism at work you know usually because it's like if someone's bored but there's adventures going on it's like well that seems a bit narcissistic, right? So that could easily be just like a slight trait. Doesn't mean someone has the disorder. So you got to make sure you don't treat people poorly just because you might think someone's a narcissist. You know what I mean? They might show tendencies, but I wouldn't. I I wouldn't identify people like this unless you unless they identify themselves this way. Um, but if you do know what a narcissist is, it's good for you to identify it, not for to tell that person, but to protect yourself. From being impacted negatively by this person's tendencies. So think about it. Imagine a pastor now having uh, narcissistic tendencies and you're just like, whoa. And then one of the one of the first things is like that inflated sense of importance. You know, it's like let's let's I'll give you an example. Like I went to church recently and um, I'm I'm honest about my my struggle. So I was in church and um. I had I had been hearing this story about King David in the Bible just kind of over and over in my head like I've been hearing it literally like play out like a, like kind of reading it to myself hearing it like that like just seeing it play out um for the last I don't know 2 to 3 years and it's been playing out in my head cuz I'm imagining David being in a cave and imagine David being in the land of the Philistines so I'm imagining David just being away from his people and, and running and having his soldiers, his men, like, you know, just kind of thinking about all that. And then <clears throat> I go to church and the first time to this, you know, church I hadn't been to in a while. And it was like, you know, that was the sermon. And so um, I have some narcissistic tendencies and I, I was kind of like just sitting there and I and I wasn't aware of this right then and there, but I became aware of it as I went through the service where I was like, oh, like this is for me, you know, 
And it might be, let's just say God is trying to communicate to me. And, you know, I'm open to that. Okay, God communicate to me the timeliness, the likely, the likelihood of this same story, telling it with the same twist that I, or telling it with the same principles that I was taking out of it on my own. It was being taught with those principles, you know, that you, 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 you might be a believer and, and you might walk away from it for a while and go to the enemy's camp, but that's not your final destiny. You know, God has, uh, God will bring you back home, you know? And then, so I was thinking and, but I was also like aware, aware of my mental health because I've been working on it a lot. And it's like, I told you guys, I'm going to make my, myself my first client. Like I'm my, I'm the client. I have trauma and I have religion integrated into my brain and maybe possibly in unhealthy ways, you know, and I'm trying to search for those and work on those. And part of it is the psychology. And then part of it is, you know, my bringing it to my relationship with God and then aligning myself more with the knowledge of God. That way my mind can be renewed. Um, I want my mind to be renewed. So I want to reconstruct how I think and order how I think better and order how I process information and treat people better, you know? And so I, I have that, I have that in me, but I also have a, a, a narcissistic tendency to think, you know, is that about me? You know, and then I, and then that triggered me into, did he see me? Did he see me already? You know, like did, did, my old pastor see me, you know, it's kind of like you get that like, you know, and I'm thinking like, and, and, and here's some context, you know, like that I didn't know that there was some serious situations that had happened, you know, the days before and within recent weeks that actually made um, this pastor of mine like more, have more of a serious tone just overall. So I don't think he'd be playfully like looking at me and, you know, trying to make his sermon directed toward me in any way, knowing that I hadn't been to church. And if he knew that, which I don't know, see, now you get into like, what do you really know? And did I know that? Well, no. And I start thinking about it. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just in, inflating my own importance right now. I'm inflating my own importance and I've been isolated for a long time. You know, I spent a long time alone. So I had a need for excessive attention, you know, and, and I got that people came to pray for me, you know, and the admiration people told me, Hey, you, you know, angel, like what you used to be, you gotta, you gotta get back there. Or you gotta get better. Right. Um, Trouble relationships, you know, like I have troubled relationships in my life, you know, still working on them, but, you know, and then sometimes a lack of empathy for others. It's like, well, I didn't, I have great empathy <clears throat> for others. And that's kind of like the one thing that keeps me, I think, from being a total narcissist, I would say, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can agree based off what I just said. It's like, that's something small and you can't really judge a person entirely that they have a narcissistic personality disorder from that but i'm saying how in a church setting a narcissistic tendency might play out because you got to understand all these traits are going to be um 
They're not going to show up the way they would outside of a religious setting because the religious setting um, has a sacred element to it where people typically present their highest self to the religious experience. They dress up, they talk different, they um, are formal, they're, they're kind and nice, they're not crude, um, you know, the conversation is entirely different, right? It's such a completely different world that when you walk into it, a lot of these traits kind of seem to be like the, 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 the sacredness of it seems to minimize those impacts. But nonetheless, people can have these tendencies and impact the church negatively. Right. And then the church in itself can have some of these traits and impact people who come in negatively. Right. Imagine a, a minister who's a narcissist and then is out there just. You know, just running over people emotionally, right? But um, I don't know if I don't know if this is helpful, but it kind of helps you see, like, you know, a narcissist. Um, I think I think if I really think about it, it's like there's there's um the most narcissistic people I've seen in church are people who. I'm not saying they don't have spiritual gifts when I say this, but who claim to have the supernatural powers, you know, where the supernatural powers that they claim they might have. Um, and some people might have them, you know, I, I do believe in them, but there's a tendency with those things for people to kind of get puffed up, like where their personality defects go on full display because they kind of get spotlighted by the gifts by these gifts and the people oftentimes that are most willing to use them and use them often um, are people who, who may have a need for attention, you know, incorporating it. There's no, and this is the, the, the thing is there's no pure intentions, like true pure intentions from human beings. Like all human beings have complex intentions. Intention isn't straightforward. <clears throat> I don't know. Sometimes people think that, Intention is just like good, right? Or bad. It's like, well, that's a very low resolution way of explaining intentions because intentions could be like, I need to eat. I need to make money. I need to feed my family. I need pleasure. I need something to drink. I need, and this person right here is in my way. But this is also spiritually important. So I'm going to give him five minutes. And if he's not done in five minutes, I'm probably going to cut him off and move on with my day. So like, <clears throat> so intention can be like motivate. There could be a bunch of motivating factors for how you choose to act and integrate yourself in a situation. Like I'm, that's all I'm trying to say is that I'm not completely the, the best psychological expert of this, but it seems to be, I don't know, kind of clear to me. So when you when you when you talk about how things play out in religious environments like in churches and synagogues and mosques right and in in you're still dealing with people through and through and you're dealing with people that might have some of these issues and some of these issues they'll show themselves and be exposed 
to the by the character of Jesus oftentimes, you know, because, you know, Jesus isn't, a so, you know, a sociopath or um, neurotic or, you know, he's not a narcissist and not neurotic. He's not a sociopath. He's not a psychopath. So when you think about these things, it's like uh, and people that might carry some of these traits um, and you reflect who he is to, you know, uh, in comparison to this person, it's like, well, it's a clear, stark image of what you can see is wrong with a person, right? Because it doesn't fit the mold. And then you see all the extra that needs to be cut off. And that's kind of how it's it's looked. It's like there's this, this, this outstanding character of Jesus Christ um, that lives inside the believer. If we're, again, we're from, primarily from a Christian perspective, we're talking. Um, and that person is, is trying to fit that mold. They're renewing their mind. They're changing. They're reconstructing their thoughts. They're, they're, they're reordering them to, to have better actions. And with time, that kind of you know, cuts off. And that's the, that's the process in life of the believer to the eventual conclusion that you'll be transformed into a body like his, right? So inevitably, there's that hope. Let's do sociopath. Okay. Sociopath. Okay. A sociopath is referred to as antisocial personality disorder. Uh, people with this disorder don't follow society norms, are deceitful in personal relationships, and inconsiderate of the rights of others. Sociopaths are highly impulsive, risk-taking, and violent. You know, like, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what creates a sociopath. I really don't. I'm not familiar with, completely familiar with what a sociopath really is. Um, a sociopath antisocial behaviors manipulation deceit aggression also lack of empathy <clears throat> it's considered an antisocial personality disorder so aspd let's see what else is going on here mm -mm 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 -mm. Okay, so a sociopath also has like a ability to have and feel empathy, but it's very like weak in a sense. So think about this. Like, I think if I look in my church experience, I've seen sociopaths in church and I'm not generalizing to pastor kids, but I think I've seen maybe one or two pastor kids they were like adults, though, and specifically men, um, because the particular denominations I've been a part of, uh, the hierarchy is male dominant. Um, just based off like how some of the scriptures are, you know, are, are read and interpreted with um, what a, what a, with what a woman's role is in the Bible and in Christianity, and you know. So some of them have um, some some denominations do not let women preach, you know, so that's just the fun fact of it. 
It's um, regardless of how you might feel about it. I'm just speaking on it like um, theoretically. But I've seen sociopaths before and I kind of if I look back into and I can think of a few scenarios or situations that made me think that um, about these specific pastor kids, because I, I you have to note one thing when you grow up in religion, you grow up knowing pretty much whatever is pr- taught and preached. And you're you know, often forced to go to church. You're often forced into this religion envir- religious environment. And it's not even that these people are being forceful or these parents are being forceful. It's just a byproduct of growing up with your dad or, or mom as pastors, as leaders. And so I've seen where some of these pastor kids are so antisocial because they don't want to mix their life with the church. And they have to go they don't they're numb to caring for people because of the fact that they've been around it so long and i've seen this like really just no desire to be anything that the church is preaching but they still go to church and they still fulfill their obligation and they try to reasonably satisfy what they need to do to not be really seen too much or be or someone to be on them about what they're not doing right so the only thing I would say is that I'm not sure if these people were complete sociopaths because they weren't highly impulsive or risk taking. But I have seen and um, understood there is an underlying aggression in these people. Like I'm like I'm mad because I'm having to do this, but I have to do this and I don't want to do this, but I'm doing this. You see, like so maybe that's not a sociopath, but. In some level, I think some of those traits do kind of are sociopath in nature. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But you can kind of see that if you were to, say, preach to a sociopath, go to church. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that one, that one should show up to a building every week or twice a week and hear the word of God. This person might naturally be like the person that would give you the middle finger. Like, no, not doing it. I'd rather be by myself, you know. And and I might personally have some sociopath tendencies as well. But I think that those tendencies happen, um, kind of were triggered by other things in my life that kind of made me more wanting to be more isolated. Like, like I didn't want to damage other people. So I'm kind of spent time alone because I was in a stage in my life where I was kind of willfully doing a lot of bad, you know. Okay, and here's the big one. You guys ready for the last one? Okay, and it's the psychopath. So if, if you didn't know, the last one is psychopath. Um, it's a disorder marked by Deficient emotional responses, lack of empathy, poor behavioral control, commonly resulting in persistent antisocial deviance and criminal behavior. So like if you're technically a psychopath, oftentimes that's probably one of the closely related. um, One of the closely related, most relatable things to people who are in prison, you know, who go to prison is this that they have psychopathic tendencies 
um, or they are a complete psychopath, you know, you know, mass, you know, murderers and, and, and how that develops. I think they're still doing a lot of research on how this develops, but they noticed one thing is that when a kid is young around maybe four, um, I've done some research on this, but not, you know, I'm not quoting that I'm an, quoting because I'm an expert, but I think it's around four if I remember properly. And I'll have to get some of those resources again um, pulled up, but um, let's see. That if you're antisocial and if, you, if your kid stays antisocial, they're most likely to form psychopathic tendencies and then in turn criminal behavior. So because it's like, think about it, it's like the, 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 the psychopath element is that I'm going to just go do what you guys are afraid to do. And that's rob a bank, right? Or something like that. It's like that. You don't do that. That's a big deal. You, you're going to get in big trouble. Well, watch me get away with it, right? That's the kind of... And then, so I don't necessarily think you often find like true psychopaths in religion only because religion is very much orderly, very, very much orderly. So you might find, I think someone who's, who has psychopathic tendencies would probably come to church and run from the world. But if they like are already in church and integrated into church, oftentimes, then you kind of wonder how that might look right? How would that look like person has no emotional response when, you know, church can be highly emotional. It plucks at the heartstrings. It plucks at the, the, the part of us that craves interaction with God, right? Have no behavioral control of like, so like, you know, I remember seeing different youth in, in some of those youth had zero control over the behavior. I couldn't understand it. We're doing drugs at church, you know, or I, you, you hear, I went to Bible school and you hear stuff about, um, you know, they separated men and women. So there's different dorms in the Bible school I went to. And there's stories like this about people like literally going to Bible school to be preachers, to be ministers, and then literally putting a girl in a suitcase bringing her into his room because she fit in it and then having sex at Bible school, you know? And so I'm not saying these people are psychopaths, but you can kind of say that that might, there might be some tendency of psychopathy there, right? Like that might. So it's like, how do you deal with this? How do you, how does like, like a group of sincere people or, or good people or decent people, you know, group together to praise God deal with like psychopaths, right? Or if someone's a psychopath, you know, um, that's from the church, imagine the damage they can do to people. And the thing, if someone, remember, psychopathy is going to be cloaked when it's in religion. And it's going to be, that's where the, the wolves in sheep's clothing, it has to be cloaked because you have to look like you fit the mold to exist within the framework of a religion. So, again, like, you look at all these things, right? A sociopath, a psychopath, a narcissist, uh, uh, someone who's neurotic. Like, you, you look at these, these dispositions and these traits, and you're kind of like, well, 
This, these are kind of often why people have a difficulty repenting, you know, because repentance isn't like, again, it isn't this religious word like we've been taught where it's like repent for every sin, for every moment of every day. No, repentance is tied to a simple thing and it's the cross specifically, right? It's the, the best person experiencing the best person who deserves it least is experiencing the worst kind of betrayal that an innocent person could experience. And that person happens to be God. That person happens to be the Messiah. The Messiah meaning the, the, the person that's going to redeem all mankind from the eternal consequence of sin if mankind so desires. You know? And you... You say, I associate myself with him. That is my savior. That is my Lord. That is my God. That's repentance. Repentance is associated to lining yourself up with a relationship with the one true God of the Bible in the Bible specifically. So again, other religions have different ways of repenting. But the Christian formation of, of repentance, if, if we're talking about that specifically, you would say it's like, well, a person needs to change metanoia, right? Meta change their thoughts to what? To what? To aligning themselves to this relationship. Then those traits can dissolve, right? Because the idea is that this is kind of how it's created is that a second Corinthians three says it's like a mirror. It's like when you see Jesus and you faith on him, you have and you faith in him. In his existence and what he did on the cross and, and who he is to us, then you're like, boom, you see who he is in his beauty because you see what he did. You see the sacrifice and that changes a person. It creates um, an experience, a miraculous experience, nonetheless, that we're a person. If I'm dealing with any of these traits that I can easily be psychologically renewed to have improved character from my proclivities, from my disorders or from my dispositions. So if I have all these, these bad dispositions and I meet this love, right? That makes me feel in a way I've never felt. It's almost like a positive trauma. It makes me, if I'm neurotic, it would be, I can't be negative because this is too positive of an experience and it's not me and it's external and it's impacting me. And therefore I do feel positive about the, my future. But then, you know, you, you, you forget and you, let's just say you forget and you go a week and then you come back to it and you're like, well, I don't feel that way anymore. You would have to realign yourself. This is repentance with whose you are, who you belong to, what you associate yourself with, what he did for you on the cross. But this can have a numbing effect because oftentimes if you don't willfully do this with sincerity, you're going to often find yourself, okay, like, I'm just going to stop. No, you have no ability to stop. If, like, people don't understand is that, is that if you have some of these disorders, you, you're going to have a hard time within yourself having the ability to stop 
doing some of these things. So it has to be like if you focus on them, you might end up like hurting yourself more. So within the framework of Christianity, we would say don't focus on them. Focus on this and that will fall off. And we're we trust this enough that if you develop a relationship with God, we won't have to worry about you being a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath, you know. So, but people don't talk about these things because there's the spiritual element, you know, and you're talking about the miraculous and things like that. And people can be healed and changed. And um, but nonetheless, um, here we are, you know, talking about. Right. So hopefully uh, this is helpful and I will keep going. Let's go. Let's keep this going, guys.